Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Primary Care Podcast. It is your boy, Dr. Mark List, uh, coming at you today with another episode. Before we get into today, I got a joke for you from the primarycarepod at gmail.com inbox. Uh, thanks for the encouraging words, the uh, letters, and the uh, recommendations. Um, I, I have some uh, uh, topics planned uh, based on some uh, emails that uh, people have sent me. Um, I, I have a really good topic today we're going to get into, but uh, the joke for the day, um, Dr. List, uh, this comes from an anonymous listener, by the way. Dr. List, a priest a pastor, and a rabbit walk into a blood donation clinic. The nurse turns to the rabbit and says, so what's your blood type? I am probably a type O, says the rabbit. Probably a type O, says the rabbit. Woo! All right, let's start the podcast. The Primary Care Podcast is written and edited by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast produced on my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, pastor, president, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keeping it under 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and I'm not that smart. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. I'm back. Welcome back to the Primary Care Podcast. It's your boy, Dr. Mark List. I come at you today. Uh, so today's topic is going to be a fun one, um, and that is irritable bowel syndrome, uh, functional abdominal pain, disorders of the gut-brain access. And um, there's two specific studies that I want to touch on today. Now, disorders of gut-brain access, I'm not going to pretend to be a gastroenterologist. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in this. Um, but there's two recent studies that were very, very interesting to me. And anybody who's practiced for a long time knows that all of the supposed medications, uh, prescription medicines cost several hundred dollars a month. There are several of them um, and have some evidence, middling evidence uh, to uh, recommend their support. I'm, I'm actually not gonna talk about those today. And why? Because they suck. Um, they suck because they're expensive, they have side effects. And while they help, if you look at the trials, many of them are marginally, I mean, they're better, but marginally better than placebo. Which gets back to the point that with disorders of the gut-brain axis, specifically irritable bowel syndrome in adults, functional abdominal pain slash irritable bowel syndrome, whatever you wanna call it in kids and adolescents, people do well with placebo in like every single study. And so you might ask yourself, well, why don't we just do placebo for disorders of the gut-brain axis? And to your answer, yeah, that's what we're doing. Um, today's article actually came to me from uh, the primary care, sorry, the family medicine, the AFP's family medicine smart brief. Um, this is not an advertisement for them. They're not sponsoring the podcast, but hey, smart brief, uh, uh, drop some cash on your boy and maybe we can uh, talk about some... Uh, some uh, advertising revenue. Um, no, but we. Uh, uh, this is a free newsletter that you can get every day in your inbox. Um, I find it yeah, minorly helpful. I think I've brought this up in the podcast before that I brought an article from them. Most of the time I end up skimming it and deleting it instantly. Um, but this is an article from JAMA Pediatrics, uh, January 31st, 2022. So literally five days ago as me recording this podcast episode. And the title is Effective Open-Label Placebo on Children and Adolescents with Functional Abdominal Pain or Irritable Bowel Syndrome, a randomized clinical trial. The key is open-label placebo. So unlike double-blind placebo, where neither the researchers nor the patients, or in this case, patients and parents, uh, know what the children are getting, in this case, this study is set up to say, okay, you have uh, either functional abdominal pain 
or irritable bowel syndrome, and they bring in the patients and parents, and they give them a very uh, detailed, and uh, it's actually in the appendix E that I read through um, here online, uh, or the E appendix, sorry, where they actually have a script that they talk to the, uh, the parents and the patients. And they say, look, um, basically to summarize three paragraphs, um, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna give you a placebo. Placebos work. Uh, we don't know why they work. Uh, it does help if you have a positive attitude towards taking the placebo, but you don't have to. You don't even have to believe that in the placebo helping you. What we ask you to do is keep an open mind and basically report your uh, symptoms. So they brought these kids in and a big criticism of the study is that it's only 30 patients, okay? And they brought these kids in and they gave, they split them into two groups and they completed one week of observation prior to their randomization and in this week, they asked them to complete a baseline of what their abdominal pain scores were. And basically the scores were zero to 100, okay? So everything's on like a 100 point scale for all future um, data that we talk about in this trial, okay? And then they, one group got three weeks of no treatment basically, okay? So no treatment, okay, control period. And then three weeks of um, the open label placebo. And <laughs> What is the open label placebo? Twice a day, they took 1.5 mils of an, an, an inert liquid placebo. I don't know why inert was so hard for me to say there. Um, and it was basically like sucrose, okay? Sugar liquid that, you know, you get that liquid that most kids get um, in, you know, ibuprofen or, or you know, X, Y, or Z. Um, and they tried to make it um, seem like, uh, you know, a generic inert liquid, mostly made with sucrose, 85% sucrose. You know, the other group starts with the um, treatment arm, the open label placebo, and then three weeks of nothing. Now, they also gave kids an option for hyoscyamine, hyoscyamine, hyoscyamine. I never know how to pronounce that word. Basically, um, an antispasmodic. Um, it, it has middling effects, a pretty, pretty um, not super great quality that it does really anything, but maybe helps cramping, uh, question mark, um, not very evidence-based. Um, but they gave kids that as a rescue medicine because they thought it would be a little bit uh, ethically questionable to make kids for seven weeks basically have no treatment, okay? And so then the primary outcome was, what's your daily pain score on average? And so then they had them, again, that zero to 100 scale while they were on nothing or while they were on the open label placebo liquid, okay? And what did it show? Okay, so again, they took 30 people and there was a statistical significance in their pain scores in when they were in the open label, right? About, they had on average 39.9, so roughly 40 was their average score versus when they were in the control group, which was 45. So a 5% difference, which was statistically significant, okay? They also took half as many of the rescue medicine, the hyoscyamine, uh, I'm not even gonna try and pronounce that. You know what I'm talking about. I don't know why I can't say that word, but basically they took basically half as many of the rescue pills when they were on the open label placebo. And arguably the most interesting piece of data from this study, it was in, further down in their results section actually, and that is about 70% of patients 70%, 73% reported that the open label placebo improved their pain score by more than 30% compared to placebo. 
and 15, half of the patients, reported that the placebo improved their pain score by more than 50%. And this is open-label placebo. The kids, the parents, they knew that they were getting placebo. Now, open-label placebo has its own issues, right? It's not this perfect uh, trial. Um, you know, especially in kids and especially with patients, there can be this case, because it's not blinded, you know you are taking something versus you know you are not. And we know that placebo works. Uh, we know that placebo effect is in, in almost every single drug trial known to man, you get placebo effect because your brain thinks by taking this, I'm going to get some improvement. But here's a case of, I even know that I am taking placebo and I can tell when I am taking a placebo and even when I'm not taking a placebo and yet it still helps with disorders of the gut-brain access. It's not, and it's not just kids too. There's another study, let me pull this up here, uh, back in 2021 in the Journal of Pain, open-label placebo versus double-blind placebo for irritable bowel syndrome. And they found that there was no difference between open-label placebo and double-blind pl double placebo in terms of IBS results, right? So this is a known thing even in adults. And this was a bigger study, 262 adults, right? Again, major issues with this study is it's only 30 kids, right? So there's a wide variety of what can happen. You know, we also worry that, especially in research with kids, that because we know that they are getting something and they know they are getting something, they might say that it works better in order to please the researchers or to um, acquiesce to them, to, to get them what they want. Kids oftentimes say things because they think that's what the researchers or grownups want to hear, um, more so than if it's actually true. Um, but again, this was not only an objective measure, we also had, and it wasn't just subjective, right? It wasn't just a pain score, but it was also an objective measure. Um, my biggest my biggest complaint with this is that there was only a, on average, a 5% change in pain scores, right? We're not talking about a miracle pain score. But again, at the end of the day, we're doing nothing in this study. We're telling someone, hey, this is a placebo. You're going to get a placebo. And the actual data shows that in kids and adults with that other study from 2021, the Journal of Pain I just talked about, there's an impact, right? There's a measurable, noticeable impact with, with the pain control, right? Um, and so again, I think that having your patients do something, right? Changing diet. Um, and that's why I, I, you know, I worry about, you know, dietary changes, which are the gold standard to help people with, uh, you know, functional gut brain, this functional abdominal pain or irritable bowel syndrome or disorders of gut brain axis is now what they're calling it. Um, I, I worry that they are, um, overdoing the dietary component and people can radically change their diet without actually much clinical benefit when you can just have them take a probiotic, uh, take a simple supplement. This is where you can be a snake oil salesman and, you know, go get pills of dirt out in the, behind your clinic and ha give these to people because, you know, a 5% improvement is 5% improvement. You stack up enough 5% improvements and you're going to get a, you know, a, a more interesting effect. I think overall though, this gets back to the fact that when we talk about irritable bowel syndrome, I, me personally, if you look at the actual data, yes, a lot of these medications that we prescribe for, you know, irritable bowel syndrome do have clinical benefit, but it's very modest. And the placebo effect in all of these trials is incredibly large, incredibly large in almost every irritable bowel syndrome, you know, control, uh, randomized control trial. And this is a way to not hurt patients, but to encourage them to do something. So how do we translate this into our own practice with our own pediatric patients and our own adults? 
focus on things that they can change, that they can do to make an impact without harming them, without breaking the bank, without causing side effects, without you know jacking up healthcare expenses and co-pays, and yet things that they can do and modify on their own. Dietary changes, lifestyle changes, um, uh, psychological improvements, um, these are all things that have incredible value, shown to have incredible value in irritable bowel syndrome, and again, are, are very minimally invasive and not harmful to our patients. So again, hopefully today was a, a good look at um, some open-label placebo, uh, treating irritable bowel syndrome with placebo and seeing an impact. Um, again, a small impact, but a, a statistically significant impact um, in overall pain. Um, again, the 5% change from one group to the other overall, not that big, but when you actually go into the details, and the fact that there was such a, a bigger jump from that washout period from their baseline to the treatment arms, uh, you know, half of the people said that they got over a 50% improvement in their pain um, when they were on placebo. A- again, pretty remarkable. The overall pain scores aren't that overwhelming or aren't that, aren't that awesome um, in, in each arm. But again, I think that there is some value in there. Um, so again, hopefully this was an interesting study to look at. Uh, I'll see you next week. Uh, a little bit something different planned for next week. So thanks and see ya. God bless. Have a great week. And a reminder, you don't need to stay up all night to stay up to date. Hey, Dr. List signing off.